When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 168. Today's episode is all about discovering your dream career. A lot of the times we get stuck believing that we can sit here and if we think a little harder about our career, we're going to find our way to clarity. But there's something really powerless about limbo. We just rock back and forth and we, we don't know and we keep thinking. If you want to be powerful, that means making a commitment, making a choice, trying something on, showing up, seeing what feedback the universe or whatever you believe you're working with gives you and course correcting along the way. The people who have careers that they're fulfilled by, they're nimble. They're willing to accept when something's not working and they're willing to stay in motion. When you allow new thoughts to come in, you usually tend to have new thoughts coming out. And I think that's where sometimes we get stuck is we just stay where we are versus allowing that space for new. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. First of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're always updated about new episodes. Plus, you want to know basically the best way to give back to your favorite podcasts? Actually, go to the iTunes app and leave a five-star review. Reviews are scientifically proven to make me love you more. That's just how it is. I love you when you leave me a review. You sit in my heart for days at a time. No, but seriously, they really help the growth of the show. They're probably the number one thing that you can do besides supporting my sponsors or joining the membership. So it's an easy, free way to give back to a podcast you love. And if you do leave me a review, send it to me at mindlovemelissa on Instagram, and I'll send you a free meditation track. Today, I'm going to read a review from Margot Lynn 88 She said, I have listened to this podcast from the beginning. I love how Melissa brings stories and examples in when she's interviewing the guests. Each week inspires a new thought or action. Well, thank you so much, Margot. This is exactly what I'm going for with this podcast. So you are my favorite person this week. I think we're all going through a lot of transitions lately. The world has changed a lot. Maybe you got laid off from your job last year. Or maybe your job pivoted to remote working. Maybe your job is just different than it was a year ago. Maybe you're just entering the job market right now. Or who knows, maybe you're thriving. I hope you're thriving. That would make me happy. But whichever it is, chances are you've gotten some clarity on what's really important. Or at the very least, you've become clearer on what you don't want. Think about it. Crises tend to cause us to reprioritize. We start to realize that life is precious. We don't have as much time as we think. And depending on your beliefs, this may either be your one life or it's your one life with this specific personality. So we start to realize why are we wasting any time on things that don't light us up? And your career is a huge part of that. Our careers make up most of our waking hours. Most people schedule everything else around their careers. And if you absolutely hate what you do, 
that means you hate a huge part of your life. But that realization isn't the hardest part. Making a change is the hardest part. You've already invested so much into this career, these coworkers, these skills, maybe your clients. It can feel like you're totally starting over. And that shit's scary. But think about this. What's scarier? Taking a leap into the unfamiliar? Or knowing full well that how you're going to be spending most of the rest of your life just totally sucks? For some reason, we humans think change is the hardest part. But when you really think about it, consciously choosing what you don't want every single day is a whole lot harder. But here's the thing about the unfamiliar. If we don't break it down, it holds all possibilities, which means it could be the best thing that ever happened to us. And it also holds our worst case scenarios. And because our brains are built for survival, we feel the worst case scenario when we contemplate the change more so than we feel the best, unless we do something to consciously sort of program our brains to prepare. That's why in my courses and my coaching, the first step I always lead you guys through is priming your brain for change. We need to get really clear on what's important to us, why we're seeking the change, and what's at stake if we stay where we are. The more clarity that we can get around this new vision, the more the new positive details overpower our brain's natural instinct to prepare for the worst. It helps us move out of our fight or flight or just paralysis, and it sets us up to start making moves towards what we really do want. But here's the other thing that we also need to get clear on, besides just why we want to make the change, and that's what that change is going to be. Most of us can't just quit our jobs if we don't have something lined up already, let alone if we have no idea what to line up. And if you've been in one job or field for years, it might feel like your options are limited. But with a little introspection, you may realize that your unique skill sets or even the energy that you bring to your work might include a lot more possibilities than your mind is allowing you to see right now. And that's what we're talking about today how to discover your direction, whether you're starting from scratch or making a change, so you can design your dream career. You may remember our guest, my good friend, Ashley Stahl. She's been on a few times. Ashley is a career coach, speaker, and author who's on a mission to help you step into a career that you're really excited about and aligned with. So she's going to help us discover our best career paths and really upgrade our confidence today. She has a new book that just released last month called U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, and design your dream career. And three key things we will learn are how to discover your core skill set, the difference between passion and interest, and how to see yourself beyond your current identity. But before we dive in, do you wish you could start each day with a little more clarity towards your highest self? Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the morning mind love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power list to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777.
For some reason in this episode, the recording of my voice sounds a little bit weird, which is kind of annoying, but I am upgrading to a whole new setup, so hopefully this won't happen again. And now let's welcome my friend Ashley Stahl back to the show. Thanks for having me again. It's happy to be here with you and talk about all things career clarity. So since we've last talked, I know that you have to be using some of your own <laughs> your own experience and skills that you teach even just navigating your own career, what has been your experience, especially this last year of kind of navigating your own career shifts? You know, I think one of the most important messages that I've had for myself and also for clients or people who are reading my book and et cetera, is just to also manage your own expectations. It's almost like we hold ourselves to an unrealistic bar in our career where we expect everything to be great all the time. And if we have a downturn or we have kind of an off month, I think sometimes we relate to that in a way where we put pressure on ourselves to make it better versus just sit with the fact that we're having an off month. And it doesn't always have to mean that your career isn't great. And I also think remembering like we call it work for a reason. And even if you love what you do, there's going to be certain pieces of it that feel like work. And I always look at my clients or people in courses or even people who listen to my podcast and DM me, I often just remind them, like, if you like your job 80% of the time, you're doing incredible, you know? And so that's one out of five days a week that maybe aren't, you know, being spent doing something you absolutely love, I think is a reasonable expectation to have. And I think that's really spared me from being irrational in my career or making moves that don't necessarily serve me long term. I love that. And even if it's that 80% of liking 80% of what you're doing on just a day-to-day basis, which means that every day is still going to have those tedious tasks that we have to show up for. And especially when there's so much going on in the world, it can make certain things that you used to like feel differently. And what I've been finding too is, you know, we think that we're going to like find this purpose or find our career, our dream job, whatever it is. And then it's just going to be set from there. But throughout that journey, there's still so many decisions to be made and so much clarity to find. So just because you've made that first decision doesn't mean you're not going to be making a decision for the promotion or where you move your business or or what you expand into next. Like you're always still finding that clarity and moving in some direction. 100%. I feel like the thing about life purpose is that it moves, you know, and when you aren't allowing yourself that space to explore and that space to be in a transition. And speaking of transitions, we're always in transition. You know what I mean? Like, it's not realistic to think that we've gotten somewhere because just when we get somewhere, I heard somewhere, I think it was on a podcast interview I did with Emily Fletcher from Ziva Meditation. She talked about how there's three different energies. There's creation, maintenance, and destruction. She said at any given moment in your career, especially, you're in one of those three energies. And if you think about it, it's really interesting because either you're in creation and you've got a vision and you're making something happen, or you got there, whatever there means for you and you're maintaining it, Or you're kind of around the corner from destruction, like whatever that thing is that you've been maintaining isn't working for you. The times have changed, the markets changed, and now you have to kind of go into destruction so that you can get back into creation. And so, you know, I've kind of looked at my career as a constant transition and I'm always taking the skill set that I've built and using it in a different way. And as long as I'm using my core skill set, who I truly am, what gift I truly have in the world, I understand that it's going to look many different ways. And I think this is a message that 
I would have for anybody listening to this podcast is know what your core skill set is. I have 10 of them I write about in my book. And once you know what that is, keep taking that with you into your career. Don't put so much pressure on what the title is that you're doing or you know, the niche that you're in. It's more about the responsibilities you do and really sharpening your skills. So these 10 core skill sets I'm really intrigued about because I find that a lot of us have difficulty finding clarity on what we're good at or or even who we are sometimes because we get so used to either following what we think is going to make us the most money, what our guidance counselor told us to do, or, or what we've just been doing before. How do you start to get clarity on what those skill sets are? Yeah, you know, one of my favorite questions that I always recommend people ask the people in their life and and kind of choose a variety, like maybe it's a couple of close friends, your parents, and then it's maybe a couple of colleagues or people that you're not super close with, but that do have some sense of you. I love to ask them, when have you seen me at my best? And I always recommend texting it or emailing it and telling them like, hey, I'm listening to my love podcast and this crazy career coach told me to text you and five people this question. But what you'll notice is that when people respond to you, it's great that you you have it typed out. You can read it, kind of process it. But everything people are telling you falls under a certain skill set. So ideally, you can let them know, like, when have you seen me at my best in my life, but also maybe in my career and just start to take note of what skills you're using. And I have these 10 that we can go through to help people get a better sense of what I see to be the 10 core skill sets that really do exist throughout the workforce, which is a culmination of the past decade of me doing this work as a career expert in courses and on my show and all of these different elements that have been so key for me to collect data and figure out what boxes, for lack of a better term, I see the workforce falling into. Yeah, that would be great. So what are each of the 10 core skill sets? Yeah. So number one, and and I always remind people as we're going through this, like, don't just think of it as a skill set that's tactical. Think about it as an energy that you can be in. So number one is innovation. This is the intrapreneur. It's the entrepreneur. It's the person that is the creative self-starter, whether they are in a company or managing their own book of business, perhaps like an insurance or real estate person, or they have their own business like the entrepreneur, but it's really an energy. This person is constantly innovating. Usually if they work for a company, they're rising in the ranks or even second in command, you'll see them at some point. And then number two is building. So this could be quite literal, like a mechanic or a construction worker. This can also be a web developer, you know, more concrete example, but it's just somebody who's in an energy of building in whatever way they can be in their career. And then number three, which is probably yours and also mine, is words. And the words core skill set, you're going to find somebody as a speaker, a writer, a content creator, a sales representative. A lot of talent agents have the words skill set, for example. And it's important when you're looking through these, like when I stop at the words one especially, to consider if you're an introvert or an extrovert. And I've done a lot of research and I know that there's ambiverts, but I do think most people tend to go one way or the other when it comes to how they get their energy. I personally, even though I seem extroverted, I need my quiet time and energy to get myself back in order. And so you're going to find somebody who's introverted as a words person, perhaps more as a writer and a content creator versus somebody who's extroverted as a words person might be a speaker or a sales rep. So it's going to look different for everybody based on this element of their personality 
as well. And number four is motion. So this is, you know, everything from a fitness person who wants to be very physical to a masseuse who's on their feet or tour guide. This is just somebody who their skill set exists when they're out and about. That's when they come alive. That's when you see them creating results is being out in the world. And then number five is service. So for our note takers out there, I think this is a really interesting one to flag. So these are our humanitarians, our nurses, our supporters, but sometimes the service core skill set can come from a wound. And so I think one question to ask yourself throughout all of these core skill sets, in addition to whether you're an introvert or extrovert, is it coming from a wounded or an inspired place? Because a lot of people will tell me that they're a service person when in actuality, they've kind of learned to be a people pleaser throughout their life as a coping skill, and it's not necessarily who they are. So super important to kind of ask yourself, where does it come from that I have this skill set? Is it a coping mechanism or is this just who I am? And it could be both. That's okay. It's just good to know. And number six is coordination. So this, I mean, thank God for these people. I feel like I wouldn't even have a business, a book or any podcast for sure if I didn't have coordinators in my business. The event coordinators, the operations people, the project managers, these people are so important for that. And then number seven is analysis. The researchers, the academics, the economists. I feel like you have some of this in you, Melissa. You're a little (laughs) bit of a researcher. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, totally. I feel like you, whenever I talk to you, you have like all sorts of information. And that's the thing. People do sometimes have two core skill sets, but we always lead with one. And so it's really about getting clear, like, what is that one? And understanding you might have others, but you have to first understand what your number one is. And number eight is the number crunchers. These are the accountants, the investment bankers, or even my partner, William. He is such a number cruncher. Um, These people make the numeric world go around. And then number nine is technology. Our IT geniuses and our artificial intelligence professionals. And then the final skill set, number 10, I love this one, is beauty. These are the people who make art of the world around us, whether they are designing, decorating, creating jewelry, makeup artists, anybody who has devoted their being and their energy and their natural way in the world to beauty is the beauty core skill set. So those are the top 10 to look for when people answer that question of when have you seen at my best? Really take a look at what do people tell you and what skill sets does that fall under? And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. 
He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. What I love about these is really... If something isn't telling a person to first get in touch with who they are before they make a decision, I don't really trust it that much because I find that almost everything that really involves a big life decision is first understanding who you are at your core. And so, so much of your book is about these core skills at your core nature. And you also talk about core nature. How is that different from your core skill sets? And is that something that you need to kind of get in touch with first before you start to identify the skill sets? Or does it happen simultaneously? First of all, it's such a good question. And I love that you must have read some of the books. So in chapter one, I talk about core nature and chapter two, I talk about core skill set. Core nature for me is your is your energetic way of being. It's usually described by a few adjectives versus a skill set is more tactical and how you're harnessing your energy and how you're executing in the world. So the way that I like to figure out my core nature is, again, another question asking people around me, which is a really interesting aspect of careers. And it it kind of goes down to the research. A lot of research indicates, especially in romantic relationships, that the people around us are better equipped to let us know if our relationship has a future versus ourselves. And I think that's the same thing with career stuff. You know, it's like, it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. And so asking people around you for feedback, I think is really powerful. And of course, checking in with yourself as you're collecting it, making sure it feels and resonates as the truth is the most important thing. So as far as your core nature goes, I would ask people around you, how would you describe the energy I bring to the room? Like, what do I bring or how does the room change when I walk in? And when you ask that question, people will usually give you different words. Like for me, my partner, William, he would say like aliveness, humor, wit, wisdom. Those are some words he would use to describe me coming into the room. That's my nature. And when I'm in a career that doesn't allow space for my humor, for my wit, for my wisdom, for me to be joyful, it's like my essence kind of dies, you know, because our core nature is really just our essence. It's the energy we bring that kind of surrounds us when we walk into a room. And I think that's really important to consider when it comes to your career. And so let's say you go through the 10 core skill sets, you figure out which one are, and maybe you have a secondary core skill set, but you figure out which one you're leading with. And you come up with a bunch of career paths that you're like, I'm a words person. And there's 10 different job titles that I can think of under words. And I'm an extrovert. So these are the ones that are better for an extroverted person. The next question I would ask you is, are any of these pushing you to be someone that doesn't fit with your core nature, that doesn't fit with your essence, that doesn't fit with the energy that you lead with? Because More often than not, people are tired or exhausted in their careers because they're pushing the river. They're pushing against who they are or there's not any space in their career for who they are. And so I think your core nature and your core skill set is are two different concepts that when you put them together are very, very powerful. It's funny because when I was trying to figure out 
what was going to give me purpose for the long term, what was going to actually be sustainable. I did a lot of these exercises uh, in, in my own way. And one of them that I found super valuable was getting the feedback from people around me. I actually wrote an email and I blamed the entrepreneur course as well. Something about that made it a lot easier to reach out to people. And I was like, hey, taking this entrepreneur course, they challenged me to reach out to 10 people and ask them what my they see as my superpower. And the things that I got back were a lot of things that I already knew, yes, but the one that was surprising was a bunch of people from different areas of my life said something along the lines of me being able to take a lot of information from a bunch of different areas and deliver it in a way that people could understand. And you said that you see my two being potentially partially analysis and then also words. And that makes perfect sense. It's like the analysis isn't what I want to do for a living, but there's so much of my brain that just automatically analyzes things. But the question I would ask myself is, do I want that to be the thing I have to wake up for and do every day? Or is that on my own leisure? (laughs) You know what I mean? Whereas words, yes, I can show up every day and deliver words to people. And so sometimes I think, It might be more than just a click in your mind as soon as you hear this stuff. You might have to sit with it for a while and allow some of the ideas to come to you or or identify where you're already using these things in your life and which parts of it you like and which parts of it you don't maybe. Definitely. And you're touching on something I think really important that I talk about a lot in my book, which is the difference between an interest and a career path. Because you know, like you take me, for example, I've been on this podcast before talking about having worked in counterterrorism. And what's so interesting about that was I remember these moments in grad school, and I write about this, where I would go to a five-hour lecture, and I would come out for happy hour with a bunch of students, and they'd still be talking about politics or national security. And I would feel like inside of myself, like, okay, come on, we've already been in a five-hour lecture. Let's talk about something else. And (laughs) I realized like that's just because I was interested in politics and I wasn't committed to it as my career. And that's the thing about interest is that your interests matter, but they're the backdrop of how you use your core skill set. Like I'm interested in travel and five-star hotels, but if you make me a chef in a five-star hotel, it's not going to be a good fit. And so it's important for me to remember like my words core skill set is going to be front and center of anything I do. And my interest is going to be in the backdrop of whatever I do. And so the sooner people can stop asking themselves, what industry do I want to be in? Or do I want to move into this industry? And the sooner they can instead ask themselves, what's my core skill set? And how can I make sense of it in this next industry I want to hop into? That's where the gold really is. Right. And another example that I've shared on this show before is I started a travel blog before I started Mind Love because, I mean, I love to travel. I was already traveling around the world. And who doesn't want free travel and amenities and all of that. And when I began to do it and started to find success, I quickly realized that the last thing I wanted to do when I was on my vacation was to make it work. And so it very clearly separated this interest of mine versus what I actually wanted to make a living off of. But what I found difficult during that process was a big part of me started to be worried that, wait, am I just talking myself out of this because I'm afraid of my own success? Or is this my internal guidance, finding clarity through action? And I know that one of the things that you teach about is really deciphering between fear and inspiration. What are your steps to get clarity between those two things? Yeah, I mean, it's 
fear versus intuition, fear versus inspiration. I think, you know, everybody has their own perspective on intuition, but my big perspective on it is that it's, it's absolute. It's not emotional. And I think there's a big difference between a feeling and emoting. A feeling sounds like it's hot outside. You know, like emoting sounds like it's hot outside. Now I need to get my hat. I'm going to get a sunburn. I need to, it goes off into fear. It goes off into a spiral. It goes off into a story. And so I find that that's the same thing with intuition versus fear. Intuition is absolute. It's usually quite quiet and it's usually a yes or no. It usually sounds like this is good for me. This isn't good for me. And I think the sooner that people can kind of, realize what that inner GPS is saying to them, the better off they are to truly uh, notice when they're being pulled towards something. And another thing about intuition in our career especially is it's always on. So whether we're noticing it or not. So if we are talking to somebody and we're totally inspired by them, usually we'll feel some sort of nudge. And if you don't feel that, it's like start paying attention. You know, just start paying attention to your conversations, to how you feel. Ask yourself in the middle of a conversation or in the middle of internet research, if you're looking at career paths or on a website looking at career stuff, ask yourself, like, how do I feel right now? Um, Not just how you feel in your body, but mentally, like, are you getting a message of this feels good? This doesn't feel good. That's intuition. And so I think that level of simplicity, it's almost like we want our careers to be more complicated than they are. But I do think that that level of simplicity is really where it's at. So when you start to find these little breadcrumbs, I guess, towards what might be able to light you up more than you found in the past. I mean, a lot of people haven't ever found that before. So it's going to be this new experience. And I when we go with the unfamiliar path or the one that's not laid out for us, the one that we haven't seen our parents following, the one that maybe we didn't learn in school and it's this new, like maybe it's an entrepreneur path or maybe it's a career that you never talked about with your parents or that your degree wasn't in. How do you start to identify the things that you might, that might be holding you back that are internal? Because I know what most people come to me about are these limiting beliefs or Um, they might not even be aware of the beliefs that are holding them back. And so what are your steps for first getting clarity on those and then working through them? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard. And sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. (laughs) And it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. they might not even be aware of the beliefs that are holding them back. And so 
What are your steps for first getting clarity on those and then working through them? Yeah, I would say one really productive exercise is just to write on a piece of paper. I'm not where I want to be because I'm not where I want to be in my career because like fill in the blank. Usually it's a limiting belief that you're filling it in with. And I think from there asking yourself like, okay, I'm not where I want to be because I need more experience. All right. You have a limiting belief that you need more experience in order to be where you want to be. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's factual, but believe me when I tell you, there's always somebody out there doing what you want to do who didn't have that limiting belief. And so the sooner that you can kind of realize that, I think the better off you are. The first step I would do outside of identifying the thoughts, identifying the limitations is I would ask yourself, you know, kind of like Byron Katie does in her loving what is book. Like, is that true? Do I know for sure that that's 100% true, that I need more experience to be this person? And if that's the case, I would say moving into self-forgiveness, there's always a reframe available. There's always a new version of the truth that might serve you better, that it would serve you better to believe. And so I love to forgive myself by saying I forgive myself for buying into the misunderstanding that I need more experience. The truth is there's plenty of people out there with the same level of experience I have doing what I want to do, and there's nothing different between me and them. I can do it. And so I try to kind of just look at a different version of reality. And it's just been so wonderful to keep doing that work and keep that as part of my ongoing life. It's been crazy because I have shared on this podcast and with you, Ashley, before we started recording, just this journey with dealing with the pandemic and pregnancy and work and all this stuff. And it's one thing that's really been highlighted for me is just how much that mindset can just affect your overall reality. Like there on some of my super low days, I realize I don't like anything in my life. I don't like what I'm doing. And I'm just like, what have I done? I've like got myself into this position. We moved here. I don't like it. And the very next day, all of those same things I was looking at, I see in a completely different light. And they're like the, my favorite things about my life. And it's funny because I've always known this, but there's something about that highlight that I've experienced so drastically, probably because of emotions and hormones and whatever I'm going through, but it was so drastic that it just makes me laugh. And it's a great reminder that when you feel like things are really real of like not believing that you can do something or not seeing yourself as worthy or whatever, it could just be a shift in mindset. And you're just used to telling yourself this. You're so used to it that you You've created beliefs about yourself that are subconsciously driving your life. But imagine the power you would feel if you were able to just shift out of that. And it doesn't even take much action. It's just the repetition and moving towards that until you build new self-beliefs, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I feel like sometimes we are so much closer to a change. And a a lot of the times when it comes to mindset work, it's almost like we're just a couple millimeters off from how we actually want to be thinking. And um, I think it's so important to kind of like keep doing that work and not just think like the, the time, the one time we do it now, everything's different. Um, you know, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint to be doing mindset work. And one quote that I really like in your book is that clarity comes from engagement, not thought. And I find that to be so true, but for the listeners, can you elaborate on what you mean by that? 
Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of the times we get stuck believing that we can sit here and if we think a little harder about our career, we're going to find our way to clarity. But that's just kind of like, um, I don't know, there's something really powerless about limbo, you know, like we just rock back and forth and we we don't know and we keep thinking. If you want to be powerful to me, that means making a commitment, making a choice, trying something on, showing up, seeing what feedback the universe or whatever you believe you're working with gives you and course correcting along the way. The people who have careers that they're fulfilled by, they're nimble. They're willing to accept when something's not working and they're willing to stay in motion. And engagement can look like a lot of things. Making a choice to engage can look like many things. It could be you know, having like a, a list of people that you want to network with that are really inspiring to you, coming with a list of 100 people and sending all of those cold emails. Engagement can look like taking a course online. It can look like even reading my book or listening to this podcast episode. There's so many ways to engage in your career. And when you allow new thoughts to come in, you usually tend to have new thoughts coming out. And I think that's where sometimes we get stuck is we just stay where we are versus allowing that space for new. Right. And along those lines, I, I remember for years, I had been listening to podcasts and reading new books. And a lot of the books I read, a lot of the courses I took had little exercises. And somehow, I thought at that time that just by reading it, I was somehow integrating it. And when I finally got fed up by, from feeling lost for so long, I was like, fine, I'm going to do every stupid little exercise in these damn books. And I started to, and I swear, I was like three exercises in. I had more clarity than I had after reading 20 different books. And so just engaging in, even if that means listening to this podcast and saying, okay, what did I learn from that? And now how does it might this apply to my life or say I was using this for my next decision? How do I do that? Like actually engaging with the material in some way, instead of just letting it become another thought that's swirling around with all the other ones can be so huge. Mm -hmm. It is. And it's, I think that sometimes we're so scared of, of change and like even asking these questions or even engaging because it requires us to own where we are. And it's scary to kind of own that we want to make a change, but I mean, that's one, one of the things I love about you is like your constant willingness to like self-evaluate and, and impart that on everybody listening here. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, there, there was another part of your book that I thought it was so amazing that you addressed because I wasn't expecting it in this topic, but you talk about coping mechanisms. And for me, what rang really true to that is I feel like part of the reason I felt lost as long as I did was because I didn't ever allow myself to sit in that discomfort. I was either going out and partying or I was doing anything to distract myself from my discomfort, which made it less apparent to me on a day-to-day -day basis that I needed to make a change in my life. So how do you see coping mechanisms coming into this idea of really finding a career path? I would say, um, I don't know, ever since we were kids, number one, we were told a very limited set of careers. Like, it's so rare that I hear somebody who was told such a variety beyond like a veterinarian, a doctor, a firefighter, even mm -hmm. an astronaut, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would say the first thing is to just evaluate, like, what were you told and what did you believe as a kid? And also, what were the conversations like in your household about money, about career, about success, because and about self-expression, about like being who you are? Um, I find that there's a lot of parents who 
uh, will withdraw love if their kid isn't quote unquote being a good boy, a good girl, whatever that means. Like, and, and a lot of times being good as a kid means like not rocking the boat, not speaking up, being quiet when it's time to be quiet. And so I think we learn a lot of coping tools to contort ourselves around the world around us so that we're rewarded with love. And it becomes so automatic and insidious that we are not realizing where we aren't being ourselves. It's so natural for us to go off course. And so I would just recommend for anybody to just really do an inquiry into their journal or just their morning meditation or whatever practices they have. And if they don't have a practice, maybe consider trying one on. I love journaling. And I always will start my journal with just a question at the top of the page that says, what do I need to know? And I just let my hand write. And so I think for anybody listening, it's like, what do you need to know about your childhood that has influenced the way you operate in the world? What are some memories that you have that influenced how you see your career? What do you remember about your mom, your dad, or any of whoever your caretaker was and how they experienced their career? And what message did that send to you? Or what moments were you in with them that really influenced the way you see what's possible for you in your career? I know for me, something I read about in my book is money mindset because my dad made and lost a lot of money and I had to watch that. And I'm grateful for the privilege of having a smart dad who had some success and showed me that. But I also saw a dad who was highly stressed. And I formed a belief at a young age that having a lot of money meant you had a lot to lose and that you would lose it. And so I had this duplicity where on one side, my belief was, you know, it's easy to make money because he made plenty of it. And then on the other side, it was, but what's the point of making it? Because you're going to lose it anyway. So why try? And then I went on to lose a ton of money as an adult because I hadn't worked through that belief yet. And so it's so important to kind of look at how we coped through our parents' grievances as a kid so that we can start to question that, forgive ourselves for that, and reframe our beliefs around what's possible for us, really remembering that was my dad, this is me, very separate. Right. One of the ones that I had to process really was I didn't realize until I was older that I never saw a female breadwinner in my family. The women, it was, they were very lucky when they got to stop working to take care of the kids or whatever. And so I had never wanted to be like this, but I also think in some level, they were my expectations for myself. And I didn't really realize it until I started moving forward and like feeling like there was a part of me that didn't really believe it was possible for me or who also was like making sure that I secured a successful husband or whatever yeah. it was. So it, it plays out not so consciously. It doesn't mean that I was going in being like, well, uh, women stay home. So that's what I'm going to expect to do. It was more like I'm moving towards this entrepreneurship, but a part of myself is resisting my next step. And I had to uncover why that was. So it's interesting when it's not so clear. Yeah, totally. And and I think that there's also a lot of shame sometimes, and that's a coping strategy or a, um, or it's just clarity. Like some women or even men out there want to have a partner who's a breadwinner and they want to raise a family. And there's something really noble about that too. And so I think sometimes we were taught to be ashamed if that's the kind of partnership we want or... Um, we're judged for that. And so I, I think that it's it's also on one side, it's subconscious and it can be wounded. On another side, it could be totally inspired. And there's just a lot of social shame, I think, from the feminist movement for people to say, hey, like, I really want to raise a family and, and I don't want to be a breadwinner. And so 
I find that these are all uh, different influences on our coping mechanisms and how we show up in the world and the things that we say. And I think our work is just to do a evaluation at all times of what do we want and what are we saying we want and do those actually line up. Another message that I just found resonated so deeply within me was when you were talking about how there's two ways that people operate when their life feels overwhelming, either resistance or indulgence. And there is just something about it because I've heard resistance a lot, but indulgence, when I read that word, I was like, oh my gosh, so they're the things I resist, but man, I indulge in all of the things. So can you talk about how does that show up in people's lives? What do they look for when to identify if they're either resisting or indulging? Yeah, I love this question. I honestly, like I was like you for a long time. I always just thought people resisted if they didn't want to deal with something. But indulging is such a different way of dealing with something. And what it looks like is just the very high drama where, you know, when you look in the mirror and you're crying and then you start crying kind of harder just because you saw yourself crying. <laughs> yes. It's like, it's like your little cry makes for an ugly cry. It's just an indulgence. And sometimes it's okay to indulge. But I would say um, people, it, it, it's also kind of like the wounded feminine where, you know, like if I'm in a state of being highly emotional and, and beyond processing it, beyond being working on something, I'm just wanting to be in the emotion of it and the drama of it. It's like there, that's a bypass. That's a bypass from really facing what you want to face. And so, um, I think anybody listening right now would probably know, like, what's their go-to? Do they tend to resist things and pretend they're not there or do they tend to indulge in it? And indulging can also look like talking about it a lot, but not doing anything about it. Right. For me, it even comes out in my coping mechanisms. Like for example, I remember I was deciding to give up wine and this was a few years ago and I was sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to give it up for, I think I was trying to give it up for a month. And so the day before I opened a bottle of wine, I was like, I'm going to finish this whole thing. And I, I wanted, I didn't even want wine that day, but I'm just like, I'm going to indulge all the way into this so that I can feel the contrast tomorrow. And, and looking back, I'm even just having the kind of eating disorder that I did, or my downward spiral was basically a whole case for indulgence. So it's something that I need to watch out for. But what do you feel like is the healthy way to go when you notice you're either resisting or indulging? You know, I love a good timeline. I love to just say to myself, like, oh, wow, I'm totally indulging in the fact that this thing isn't working. And I'm really sad about it. So I feel sad and I don't want to deny my sadness or invalidate myself. So I'm just going to like pick a timeline where it's like after this point, I'm allowed to be sad, but I'm not allowed to let it like take me in the way that it is. It's funny. There's a lot of judgment sometimes on distractions, but there's a whole field called dialectical behavioral therapy where distractions are actually seen as very, very healthy and they become avoidant when you're just indulging in them so much that all you're doing is distracting yourself. So I would say, If you're indulging in your emotions, sometimes like setting a timeline is really productive. Other times coming up with some healthy distractions, whether it's reading a book, watching a movie, seeing a friend is actually a very healthy, healthy coping tool. And sometimes when we get ourselves into a different environment, we kind of like let loosen our our grip on the environment that we were creating for ourselves prior. So I would say anybody who's indulging a little bit, maybe it's time for a healthy distraction or even just to give yourself a deadline. So a lot of what we're talking about is really getting clarity on possibly changing your career, finding a new career, but so many people identify with their careers. I mean, you ask somebody, 
hey, I'm Melissa and I do this. It's like what we do tends to follow immediately what our name is and this is how I want you to see me. So I know there's so much, I mean, some people even have a whole crisis of identity when they're switching career paths. How do you use this idea of identity as you're transitioning? Because I know for me, sometimes this identity that I've built can be a huge benefit, but if I'm creating a container around myself, it inhibits me from moving forward. So how do you really approach the idea of identity and how do you move or allow it to expand as you expand? Well, one of the things that I love about the 10 core skill sets is that that usually doesn't change over time. Like what your natural gift is usually will stick with you. Like it's not like words is my natural gift and then I'm going to wake up in 10 years and love research, like maybe, but not likely. Usually it's like what your skills are or what your skills are. And even if you grow new skills or harness new skills, they don't necessarily match the potential that is there with your natural God-given skills. And so I would say when you're making a transition, really ask yourself, how can I reflect on the ways that I've used my core skill set in a way that is relevant for the next place that I want to go. So if you're working in tech and you want to transition into communications, how have you been using your core skill set you're going to bring with you into communications in technology so that you can make sense of your transition when you're communicating about it? That makes a lot of sense. It reminds me of when I was actually first learning how to set goals. The very first time I learned how to set goals, it was like these very concrete goals. And then I would get to them and immediately feel, well, first excited. And then all of a sudden the luster would wear off. One of my friends, Kelsey Ramson calls it the success hangover. And so somebody taught me to start figuring out goals based on my values, because those are the things that are going to be, each goal can basically expand on that value to where instead of here I am, I'm done. I am able to keep adding building blocks to that particular value-based goal set, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think that you're touching on something really important is like the idea that we are building. And so as we keep following what feels good and we keep using our skill set, there's going to be a lot of opportunities and purpose on the periphery of that. And so staying open and not so laser focused on what your vision is, but holding your vision lightly and keeping space open for what might be next is so important. How do you go about setting your goals? Because I know you have basically a blueprint for this of, of really making sure that your goals are aligned with what lights up your soul. Yeah. I got this one question from Mary Morrissey. Um, and she says, whatever your goal is, you write at the top of the page, what can I do from where I am now with what I have now to get closer to, and then you insert your goal. And I love this question because if you don't obstruct yourself and you just allow yourself to write down ideas, usually you can check in with yourself and feel into which one, which idea or five feel inspirational, feel expansive, feel good when you look at that one. That's to me how I pursue my goals. So in the next year, I want to grow my podcast. I want my book to make an impact. And so I'd write down at the top of the thing, what can I do from where I am now with what I have now to get closer to really getting my book and my podcast out there? And there'll be a ton of different ideas that I write down. And one might be going to a networking event that I think there's going to be a lot of podcasters and inviting them on my show or something like that. And I always follow like which one is my heart expanding with that feels I feel inspired by. And that is how I commit to setting goals 
every single time. I think life is too short for us to push, push, push and kind of like abandon ourselves and our souls. And sometimes we want something and we don't care how it feels on the way there. But those that time and that on the way there is your life. That's your life. That's your experience. And so I find that this exercise has helped me really stay connected to like, how do I want to be experiencing my life? Right. And, and for those out there that are going through something like this, either trying to make the decision to make a career change, to move into a new field, feeling that lost feeling. I remember how that feels. I remember kind of feeling hopeless, like maybe I don't have a purpose or a calling or maybe I, this, these things I am reading about aren't really meant for me. But I'm curious, because of all of the uncertainty around, it's probably exacerbated for a lot of people right now. So I'm curious what you would have told yourself, your younger self, when you were experiencing the career change and, and trying to decide what to do with your life. What do you wish you had known back then? Mm, I would say the importance of patience. You know, like we can't force the moon to go up any faster at night or the sun to come down any faster. And I think the best things in life, um, they can happen quickly, but they also often take time. And Rome wasn't built in a night. And so if I could tell myself anything, my younger self, I would say just slow down and be patient. Well, thank you so much for all of the wisdom that you brought to the show today. And for this amazing book, what I love about it is there are those activities to actually really bring engagement instead of just more thoughts to swirl around in your head. So it's really a handbook to get more clarity on these uh, choosing your next direction. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you, your amazing podcast and your new book, where is the best place for them to connect? Thank you. I It was so much fun to realize as we were talking, Melissa, that you read the book. And, <laughs> you know, right now we have a bundle of courses and I think it should be through mid-February that you can get access to when you order the book at uturnbook.com. So it's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N book.com. And when you click the pre-order button and you take a screenshot of your receipt, you can upload it there and get courses on money mindset, life purpose, starting a side hustle, so much more all for free, which is really, really fun. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 168. So your challenge this week is to start identifying your core skill sets. You can go through the 10 skill sets we talked about today, or you can just start taking note of the skills that come up as you work or go through your daily life. I think a lot of us tend to neglect the skills that we have in our daily lives because we're so used to identifying with our careers. But if you are organizing a household or being a parent, there are so many skills that go into that, like teaching, communicating, organizing finances. When you start to catalog all of your skills instead of just what you've been doing for the last 5, 10, 20 years, you start to notice that you have way more possibilities than you think you do. For example, when I was just doing marketing, it was easy to just say, okay, I'm a marketer. I need to find a job in marketing. When I started to break that down and realize I am good at identifying trends, I'm good at reaching people, I'm good at explaining things in a way that people connect with, I'm good at persuasion. I'm good at introducing new ideas to people in a way that makes them want to take action or change their behavior. So those are all ways to break down marketing. And when you look at those, it also makes sense that I could be a podcaster or I could teach in some way. So when you start to break down your skills instead of just what you're doing, 
you'll notice that those same skills can be used in a variety of other careers and fields than you might be narrowing yourself down to right now. So let me know what you think. Or if you need some help, reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa and let me know what skills you're coming up with. If you love this episode or if you know someone in particular that's going through a career change or should be going through a career change because they hate their job, share this episode with them by tapping the little share button or take a screenshot and tag me at MindLoveMelissa and Ashley Stahl. Don't forget we have double the episodes available each month with a MindLove Premium subscription, so you can find out about that at MindLove.com premium. And if you love this podcast and you haven't yet left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, you can do that by going to Apple Podcasts, searching for Mind Love, and then scrolling down to the review section. And there'll be a little link that says, write a review. I absolutely love receiving these reviews. They keep me going, they keep me motivated, and it helps me feel really connected to you guys and lets me know what is really resonating with all of you. Plus, your review might get featured on the show. And as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 